Good morning once again. And I try not to fiddle with the microphone. It's a new microphone, so I'm trying to make it fit my head, which is usually bigger than the standard head. <clears throat> so it's, al it's always trouble for me. So all of you who are in small groups know we are working our way through this uh, study of Gentle and Lowly, the Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And this is a book that reveals Jesus in the Old and the New Testament, shows you how to find uh, Jesus in places where you, wouldn't nor where you might not expect, and it teaches you, it's a book that teaches you what the Bible teaches us about who God is and his heart for his people. Uh, so this is also what we are using as our inspiration for the sermon series. So we're kind of all in this together uh, right now. And I think that most groups are somewhere around, the, around chapter 3 or 4. Um, but every, every group is moving through this book at a different rate. But uh, the, the heart of Christ, or, or who Jesus is, it's like a many-faceted diamond. We can, we, can we can admire it for its beauty, looking at it. It's overwhelming, beautiful, shiny splendor. And then we, we zoom in and we can see one facet at a time. And then our human brains start to smoke and pop. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to zoom in on an aspect of who Jesus is for us and, and, uh, and learn about, ho hopefully learn about uh, his desire for us as his children this morning. Uh, the, the amazing thing about eternity uh, is that, and I was reminded this week, that our eternal God will be eternally revealing himself to his people for all eternity. It will not be boring in heaven. You know, Jesus will be revealed for in his full glory, and we will know God even as we are fully known by God, that perfect intimacy, and we will come to know uh, Jesus in ways we'd never imagined when we walked on earth. There's always more uh, to learn and know about God, and I'm reminded of, De of Debbie just in heaven with Jesus being known as she is fully known right now. And uh, all of us, there's things we don't understand here on the earth, of course. There's things we don't understand that even the Bible teaches. There's places in the Bible where scholars and, and, and readers, you know, shake their heads and say, we don't understand this. But that's okay, because we will understand it someday, and, and uh, we will come to know God as we are fully known by him for all eternity. But, but for us, it, to, to keep our human brains from smoking and starting on fire, we have to we have to take it in bite-sized chunks, and this is the way God has taught us to do it, through learning about Jesus from his word, experiencing him in his presence. So I'm not sure what you're... I'm going to talk about uh, pride a little bit and humility this morning. I'm not sure what your personality type is, whether you are on the left, the right, or somewhere in the middle as far as the spectrum I'm about to share with you. But for me, my personality type is extremely introspective. You know, very, very, you ask me how I'm, what I'm thinking about or, or what I think about something and I think about it uh, more than I answer quickly. Um, I'm also a personality type that before Christ, like as a young teenager, uh, I, I, felt so, I felt very uh, broken and I felt very different from other people. Um, I was kind of an angsty teenager for a couple years there. Before, actually directly before I, I came to Christ, I was kind of an angsty teenager. I felt like um, I'm probably the only person like me in the world. I'm so unique as a person, and my brokenness is just different than other people's. It's worse than other people's. And I had this imaginary God in my head, lower G God, that I created in my mind, and I imagined that he must be very... Um, he must find it very hard to love or know me because of me being exceptionally bad. So this is a very dark, angsty moment. Many teenagers are in that place, but a lot of adults suffer with the same feeling, this feeling that 
God is unapproachable and that we are, you know, he, he can deal gently with other people, but he, doesn't, he can't deal gently with us because we are just so much more broken than other people. You know, I thought to myself in the past, you know, people may love me, but if they really knew who I was, they, they wouldn't love me. Um, I'm the personality type that would hear people talk about uh, their sins after I became a Christian. And I would think to myself, yeah, this is, this is a sin, but you are still a much better, you're just a much better Christian than I am. I just felt so that way. Um, and I, I always think, I wish I was half as good a person as this person who's talking to me about their sin. Um, for as long as I can remember from childhood, I felt kind of isolated, alone, like an island, someone that couldn't be understood. Again, that's all the angsty teenage stuff. And I remember the black lights in my room and the Nirvana records playing in the, in the CD player. And hearing Kurt Cobain saying, Jesus, don't want me for a sunbeam. And saying, yeah, I, I, I feel you, Kurt. Um, I remember lamenting this when I was young. But now, you know, of course, that was, that was when I was younger um, and around the time I first came to Christ. Now, now as an adult approaching middle age, I know differently. I know I've gained some, some wisdom over the years, I hope. And I've learned, you know what, I'm not that unique of a person. Um, Many people naturally tend to feel like I do, who share my personality type, my temperament, my experiences. Um, I know that not all of you can identify with that kind of self-sort-of-loathing uh, self thing that I talked about. Um, the, the kind of sensitive, introspective, self-doubting person. But um, as much as it might sound like a noble thing, like a humble thing to, to, to be that way, it's actually a very broken, sinful way to be because it's just pride. It's just the other half of pride. Um, the subtext of my, my humble-sounding, angsty inner teenager self is pride in disguise, and it keeps me from Jesus. And, you know, like many, like many adults who, who should have learned better, you know, when I'm doing poorly, I tend to go back to that, that whiny teenager. And, and uh, I, I don't think anyone else is much different than me. So it's just pride uh, to, say, to say, my sins are so bad, they're unforgivable. Jesus loves and forgives these people, but he couldn't love and forgive me. Jesus can't redeem my bad choices, but I'm sure he can redeem other people's bad choices. Now that's all just hogwash. Of course, um, this is just a very self-centered, self-focused thing. All eyes on me, painfully introspective, navel-gazing. Navel um, in my Christian life, after coming to Christ more than 20 years ago now, hard to believe, the prideful way uh, of that kind of self-loathing didn't really go away, but transitioned to this religious version, which is never a good thing, because uh, sometimes religion can throw fuel on the fire of people that are struggling uh, emotionally. And uh, it manifests in that feeling that, yeah, your sins are worse than everybody else's, your struggles to be holy and walk with Jesus are, are, are more difficult because you're more of a difficult person, and no one can quite understand your plight. And of course, this is all just whitewashed religious version of self-focus and pride. And uh, still, I was in my old kind of mindset. So, you know, the question is, how did I bust out of this kind of painful, self-focused pride? A feeling that, that I'm different from others and my brokenness and sins are beyond even the scope of God to, to redeem and forgive. That God is patient with other people but not with me. And the answer is, is the answer that's true for every question that we have. It was through revelation of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The revelation of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, allowing that good news to 
get deeply into my soul and, uh, and find the freedom that comes with going through, through Jesus, uh, the way, the truth, and the life, and knowing the Father through him. You know, no matter how your pride and sin manifests itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus' blood can set us all free from that pride. Uh, whether your pride looks like mine, where you focus so much on your own brokenness, you're just always focused on yourself so much, your perceived failures, keeping others and God at arm's length, or whether your pride looks like uh, some other folks in the scriptures and maybe some folks you might know who seem to, seem to think that other people are on a lower spiritual plane than them, and they are actually the ones that have it all together, and everyone else kind of irritates them because <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not performing as well. Um, that's another kind of pride. So whether it looks like like this or like this, you know, the gospel of Christ sets us free from pride by creating this level playing field where every person, even on their best days, their good, their good deeds look like filthy rags, the word says. Even on your very best day with Jesus, you are drawing grace from perfect God to cover your sin. There's no one who's not living on a lot of grace. And we're going to look this morning at how the good news of Jesus, our high priest, deals with this problem that we have of, of pride, of sin, of keeping God and others at arm's length, either through thinking too much of ourselves or uh, self, um, self-hatred in a way. So we're going to be in Hebrews 5, 1 to 10. And that's going to be on the, on the screen for you. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is the human priesthood. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. He says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Some though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And it was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of of Melchizedek. Now, it should be noted here that when it talks about Jesus being made perfect, it's not talking about his morality. It's talking about the fulfillment of his mission on the earth. You know, the fully formed uh, Jesus who grew up from a child into the man who gave his life on the cross in reverent submission to God. That was a perfect end of what God uh, desired for Jesus. And since he has been made perfect, then for all of us uh, can enter through him. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus called himself a doctor for the sick. He did not come for those who were well, but came for those who were sick. As he said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. That's Luke 5.31. And uh, we, we learned that the only condition we need to meet in order to come to Jesus is, is humility. You know, Jesus is irresistibly drawn to the meek and lowly. Here in today's passage, we need to do a little more work because we're less, less familiar with the idea of a, of a biblical priest than we are with a doctor, which we all kind of understand. 
So uh, if, you're, if you're Catholic or Orthodox background, you have an idea of what a priest is. Uh, the priesthood of Israel is, is a different kind of thing, though. We're going to be in verse, verse 1 here, and we're going to try to learn a little bit here about how the priesthood worked and what that means for Jesus being the great high priest. It says in verse 1, uh, 5, 1, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. This is the high priest that's pulled from the people, uh, the human high priest. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. You know, the biblical high priest, first of all, was selected from among the people of Israel. He was a human representative of all the people. And he was himself a sinner. He was just a normal person. You know, the, the priest was incredibly important for the faith of Israel in, 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 the, in those days because it was through the priest and only through the priest that you related to God Almighty. That's how you connected to God back in those days, through the priest. So these days you might be very thankful and you might decide to, to make an offering to God in some way. And, and, uh, and you can kind of do that yourself. You can, you can worship God and sing worship songs yourself. Or you can ask God to forgive you of your sins yourself. Back then, everything went through the priest. Incredibly important. So if you want to make a, a Thanksgiving offering, a drink offering, a grain offering, a fellowship offering, a Thanksgiving offering, you wouldn't ever do that alone. You'd go to the priest. That's a little bit different. And then the priest would offer the sacrifice on your behalf, according to how God prescribed it. So in short, we could say a biblical priest represents the people to God. When God looks at that priest who's been designated and called out from among the people, he's representing the people that he's bringing the offerings for forward to God. Both in daily worship, also in the once a year uh, time when he, he makes atonement for sins, a day called the Day of Atonement, which you may have heard from. Uh, once a year, the, the, not just a priest, but the high priest, the head priest, would make an offering for sins for all of the people on the Day of Atonement. And he was, in this, he was representing the people he served. So all of their rebellion, all of their sin, all of their, all of their junk, whatever, whatever had been, whatever offenses there were against God, he carried those in and then made atonement for them through uh, the shed blood of animals. Um, as this, this high priest was just very naturally sympathetic to the people that he was representing because he was one of them. In fact, he had to make atonement for his own sins before he made atonement for the sins of the people. Which I think would be a very fearful thing for, for someone uh, back then. The, the high priest would, uh, would go into the Holy of Holies, where the manifest presence of God was. You know, for, for reference, when God's presence is fully made manifest, people just fall on their faces. Now, that's the only response. Angels and people fall on their face before God. We will fall on our face before God, not in a, in a coercive or a, or, or a negative way, but in just a, the glory of God is so great and the power of God is so pure and beautiful. You know, we will fall on our faces before him. This priest, before he offers sacrifices for the sins of the people, he has to make atonement for his own sins to become the priest that can represent everybody else. 
So with great fear and trembling, this priest, you know, there are some historical accounts, you may have heard this, where they tied a rope around the priest's leg and he went in there and if things went well, then he came back out. And if, if they thought if something doesn't go well, we, we don't hear the bells anymore, we pull him out. So it's a very uh, fearful, awestruck kind of situation. So I, I love the way God set up. God just knows how people are. The way God set up worship in the Old Testament is, let's have the priest who's representing the people be in a humble mindset before he does the Day of Atonement stuff by offering a sacrifice for his own sins first. He's not judging people. Maybe, he, maybe he's prone to, to judging other people and thinking he's, yeah, I'm a priest. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I was chosen for this for a reason. I'm really special. Um, not so on the Day of Atonement, man. <laughs> I think I'd be pretty, pretty humbled after I made a sacrifice for my own sins. And uh, I, I'd be shaking my sandals, I think. Um, going into the Holy of Holies, the innermost place in the temple, God's manifested presence, and, offer, and they're offering sacrifice for the sin, his sins and the sins of the people. So then after the, after the sacrifice um, for his own sins was, was complete and successful, he would then... I would imagine joyfully, because he's gotten through the hard part, uh, make a sacrifices for the sins of the people. And this is just a great way for the priest to be humble as he came into the Lord's presence. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you've got to be humble, come into God's way. So that's just a very simple kind of understanding of what biblical priests and high priests were. So let's look at next at what our passage says about Jesus in, uh, in verse 5. It says, in the same way, that is, um, in the same way as the high priest makes atonement for the sins of the people, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You know, just as God took and appointed a high priest from among the people, in the line of Aaron, the Levites. So God selected Jesus and destined Jesus by his plan, who was fully man, but also fully God, um, from the beginning to be the ultimate high priest. Um, and Jesus did not come from the line of Aaron. He did not come from the line of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah, remember that? That's why I think it says uh, that he was appointed... As, as, from among the people as a priest like Melchizedek. Well, who's Melchizedek? Here's your Bible trivia. Um, Jesus was selected by God to represent the people in the same way that God selected Melchizedek in the story of Abram, later Abraham, long before the Levites ever existed uh, in Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Uh, this, this man named Melchizedek comes along out of nowhere, seemingly, and he served Abram bread and wine and later, Abraham gave him a tithe. He tithed to this priest, um, this priest Melchizedek. Actually, let's, I'm going to turn back to there. It's very interesting. So 14.18. After Abram returned from defeating Ketelamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. 
and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hands I have sworn an oath to the Lord my God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal. So you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and share the belongings of the men that came with me. So here, out of nowhere, we've never heard of Melchizedek before. Out of nowhere, this figure comes, you know, in the very beginning of recorded history in the book of Genesis, um, before there were any tribes of Israel, before there was any temple, before there was any priesthood. This priest, Melchizedek, comes around, and God had appointed him, uh, apparently sometime between Genesis 1 and Je Genesis 14, to be a priest. And then he never appears again in the scriptures. So our, our passage today, uh, it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, just as God took a high priest from among the people uh, in Melchizedek, predating the Le Levitical priesthood, so he chose Jesus and made him a priest like Melchizedek. In other words, it's like saying, Jesus is a cosmic eternal priest. You know the priesthood in, in Israel, later in, later in the Bible, but before all that, Jesus was appointed as priest. He's the priest in Genesis. He's the priest in Revelation. He's the great high priest in the fulfillment of the priesthood. So Jesus was selected by God to represent the people in the way that God selected Melchizedek in the story of Abram long before the Levites existed. So how did Jesus, the, the if you will, cosmic high priest, I'm saying it's this global picture of the high priest, how did he exercise his priesthood? In what way is Jesus like the Old Testament priests who are able to deal gently with the people who are ignorant and going astray from God? We're going to finish out our passage in verses 7 through 10. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, you may think that Jesus cannot possibly deal gently with you because Jesus never sinned. He's never, he never sinned like the high priest in the Old Testament. But we would be wrong in thinking that. Um, Jesus did not sin, but he did. He suffered more than anybody in temptation and pain. Look at, the, look at the humility of Christ in verse 7. He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And God heard him because of his reverent submission. You know, Jesus is able to function as our perfect high priest because though he never sinned, he was severely tempted. Maybe you haven't thought about this. In every way. In fact, I think Jesus' temptation was far greater than probably anything we have experienced because all the powers of Satan, the world, and the people that were working along with the world um, were all trying to keep Jesus from fulfilling his mission of dying and rising again. So Jesus was tempted all the time greatly. Uh, he was really tempted, not just in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan, but every minute of every day of his entire life, Jesus Christ was assaulted with temptation. Even at the end of his life, you know, he was, attempted to, he was 
he was uh, thinking about his coming death. He knew it was coming. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he was in the garden, he said, Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, may this cup of wrath be taken from me. That is, to die with all the sins of the world on his back. But he said, but not my will, but yours be done. That's, that's what Hebrews is calling reverent submission. And God heard him. And God said, still, this is your mission. And Jesus, even if he, 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 even if he felt tempted from escaping that very painful um, function of providing a sacrifice for our sin of himself on the cross, he still reverently submitted to God. But he, he suffered under that temptation. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, Jesus was tempted every day. Um, he was tempted in the garden to the point of sweating what looked like drops of blood. And you know, physicians say that's like someone going into shock. Yet, he did not sin. He followed God perfectly according to God's plan to the very end. The point of all this is that Jesus, you know, the high priest who represents us to God, knows exactly how difficult life is for people how great our temptations are, and how the enemy relentlessly and many times unfairly goes after God's children. Jesus is familiar with how tempting sin is to us in our flesh. You know, our, our base dri drives and desires that tempt us uh, away from Jesus. Um, he is aware of how everything in the world is pretty much set up to keep you away from following Jesus and coming into line with him. He's aware of that. As it says, son though Jesus was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now this is a wild phrase. It almost feels impossible, yet here it is. You know, God knows just what it's like to be human, to be tempted in every way, to the point of fervent cries and tears before God, yet through his reverence of mission, he was made our perfect high priest. Um, even greater than the priesthood of the Levites. And for this reason, Jesus is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Because he himself was subject to weakness. He was subject to the same weakness we are. Now, Jesus is our perfect high priest. There's always this temptation uh, to, to, to either focus too much on God, uh, Jesus being God or focus too much on Jesus being a man. The truth is he was fully God and fully man both at the same time, 100%. He learned, but he also, he, he was able to learn and grow uh, developmentally as a, as a human being, but he was God in the flesh. Jesus, you know, is our perfect high priest. He does not scorn us when we come to him in humility. He does not grow impatient with us. He understands the process that we go through. And in the midst of our suffering, our sin, and our temptation, right in the midst of the, of, of the, when we're just about to give in and go away, we know we shouldn't go. He's right there. He's not far away. He's in there with you as your high priest, cheering you on and, and, and offering strength to help you through. Because he knows, he knows what it's like. He relied on God fully to escape his temptations. So to end where we started, you know, I told you that, you know, when I was a young person, I was, I, was, uh, I was proud in the sense that I thought I was so special and different and, and extra bad. Um, 
that my sins were too great for other people to really know who I was and that Jesus uh, could be kind and patient with others, but he was not going to be patient and kind with me. You know, the flip side of that is, of course, that you know, we believe our, our righteousness is, is greater than that of other people. That's what the Pharisees' sin was. They, they, they felt that their righteousness surpassed those of the common person, and they scorned the common man. You know, Jesus, that's why Jesus, but, but still their righteousness was, was not righteous. In fact, Jesus said, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees in order to follow me. Um, so whether you are on one end of pride or the other, you know, how do we break free from our pride and come to Jesus, our high priest, when our pride rears its ugly head? In our book, Gentle and Lowly, by Dane Orland, it says this, As long as you fix your attention on your sin, you will fail to see how you can be safe. But as long as you look to this high priest, Jesus Christ, you will fail to see how you can be in danger. Looking inside ourselves, we can anticipate only harshness from heaven. Looking out to Christ, we can anticipate only gentleness. Hebrews is not just telling us, in, telling us that instead of scolding us, Jesus loves us. It's telling us the kind of love he has. Rather than dispensing grace to us from on high, Jesus gets down with us. He puts his arm around us. He deals with us in the way that is just what we need. He deals gently with us. In other words, when Hebrews says of Jesus that he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, the point is that Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to him. Irrespective of their particular offense or just how heinous it might be, what elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner just comes to him, lays down their pride, and comes to him and admits, Jesus, I need help. Only you can help me. So I say to you this morning, you know, come unto Christ. Whether you think more of yourself than you should, come to your Christ, come to Christ whether you think that you're a special case that Jesus can't handle and Jesus can't redeem. Come to him. All of that is just pride that keeps us at arm's length from God and other people. We all must humble ourselves and come to Jesus, our great high priest, and allow him to set us free, both now and for eternity. And as we do that, as we walk with Jesus day by day in this way, he's going to chip away, he's going to chip away that brokenness in us that says, you can't come to God. You have to, you're stuck in this pattern forever. Or um, you're hopeless. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll take, I will give you rest. Humble yourself. Come to me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls.